Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. The Bible is our authority and every message delivered proclaims the truth in a way that is relevant and practical for daily life. At Vail Christian, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. So take your Bible and turn to the Gospel of John Chapter 5, that's where we are. And uh, let me remind you just of a few things. We've seen this journey that John has taken us through in really helping us see Jesus exactly the way we should, right? And that he is fully God, um, fully man, all kinds of things. He, John wants us to see Jesus in all of his glory, okay? So... We've seen some amazing things happen. There's been some great stories, right? Um, Nicodemus, the woman at the well, right? Healing a, a, a little boy. All these journeys reveal all kinds of things about Jesus. Um, so where we are today, I want you to keep in mind, Jesus is compassionate. He knows us, right? He's after us. He wants us to believe He's been sent here by God, not to judge, but to save, right? I mean, there is judgment, but what he wants to do is save us. All right. Well, today, <laughs> this piece of scripture is, it seems complicated, and it seems like Jesus is very harsh. And he kind of is. He's straight up kind of in your face. And he is dealing with the Jewish leaders and their opposition to him and all these problems. I mean, at this point, they're uptight and uh, they're, they, they start talking like they want to kill him. That's how bad he's got them fired up, okay? Because he is claiming to be God. He's claiming all kinds, he's Messiah of all things. And they do not like it. They don't like it. Now, we're going to read through this journey a little bit, and it's, it's, it feels complicated, but here's what I want you to keep in mind. It's easy to go, Jesus is being right in the, the face of these Jewish leaders, and it's easy to go, well, this is about these guys and all their opposition, and, and they don't believe. They think everything's about them, and that's why they don't believe and all that. But this is about you and I more than I think we let it be sometimes. Does that make sense? We love to be the center of everything. We think it's all about us all the time. We do. We love praise. We, we love approval. We live like it, okay? So I want you to look through that lens as, we, as this journey plays out in the text, starting in chapter 5 at verse 30. Verse 30 is a really important verse. That's where we'll begin and I'll read through the end of the chapter. Are you ready? Follow along with me because it's going to seem complicated. It's not really, but it, 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 it sure does seem like it because it's actually hard to read. Here we go, verse 30. I can do nothing on my own initiative, Jesus says, right? Just as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. Seems like a complicated way of saying it's not about me, it's about God, okay? But that's, that's really what he says. Verse 31, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. 
We have to define what that, what is it, what? Verse 32, there's nothing, or there is another who testifies about me, and I know the testimony he testifies about me is true. That's, um, he's talking about John the baptizer, okay? You sent, uh, you have sent to John, that's John the baptizer, and he has testified to the truth. I do not accept human testimony, but I see this so that you may be saved. He was a lamp that was burning and shining, and you wanted to rejoice greatly for a short time in the light. But I have a testimony greater than that from John. For the deeds that the Father has assigned me to complete, the deeds I'm now doing, testify about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified about me. You people have never heard his voice nor seen his form at any time, nor do you have his word residing in you because you do not believe the one whom he sent. You study the scriptures thoroughly because you uh, think in them you possess eternal life, and it is these same scriptures that testify about me. But you're not willing to come to me so that you may have life. Verse 41, I do not accept praise from people, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. If someone else comes in his own name, you'll accept him. How can you believe if you accept praise from one another and don't seek the praise that comes from the only God? Do not suppose that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses. You know all that Old Testament stuff you read? In whom you have placed your hope? If you believe Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. But if you do not believe what Moses wrote, how will you believe my words? Now there's a lot there, isn't it? Well, he's after these guys, and but 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 again, it's so easy to go. Oh man, he is up in the face of these guys, these Jewish leaders, and this has got nothing to do with me. And that would be a wrong assumption. I'll probably say that multiple times. Look at verse forty-three, or verse thirty. Excuse me. I can do nothing on my own initiative. So what Jesus does here is stress his unity with the Father again. Him and the Father are one. Just as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. So. What John does from verse 30 on is emphasize the God orientation of Jesus. The God orientation of Jesus is God. And and Jesus is focused on God the Father. My judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. This is the theme of not me, but God. And it goes on and on. It extends all the way to the end of the chapter. I think this exposes something. I do. I think it exposes something in all of us because it gets to the heart of why so many people have such a hard time truly believing in Jesus. A lot of people believe in the idea of Jesus. They like it. They don't really believe. Because we know that real faith believing is different. When you really faith believe, when it's true, when it's authentic, your life changes because your life doesn't belong to you anymore and you live differently. You prove it, you flush it out that way, right? You don't just talk about 
God, you don't just know God. A lot of people know about God, but they don't really know him, right? Okay, so witnesses, this is the next thing. Look at verses 31 through 36. What Jesus does in verse 31 through 36 is show us that he does have a testimony for truth. John the Baptist and God the Father through the working of his miracles. So Jesus has done all kinds of miracles. Those are witness to the whole thing. God the Father doing all that. And then John the baptizer, he came before Jesus, right? Laid it all out and he was a great witness and he told the truth and he said, here it comes. Yeah, he's coming. He's coming. All right. So he says, if I testify about myself, it's not true. Verse 32, there's, there's another who testifies about me and I know the testimony he testifies about me is true, right? Now, that verse, verse 3, that could be about God the Father or John the Baptist. Both are mentioned in the, in the next verse. Verses, verse 33, you've sent to John and he's testified to the truth. Verse 34, I do not accept human testimony, but I say uh, this so that you may be saved. So in other words, human testimony is never the complete uh, or final or complete for actually who God is. Human testimony is important. But it's not complete, right? And um, he says this for a reason, right? I'm speaking this way about John because you did give him um, some credibility, and that may lead you to my truth and to your salvation. So at first, John had credibility with everybody, right? And so they're like, okay, Um Jesus is saying, I'm speaking this way, though, because you did give some credibility here and all this. All right. Now, go to verse 35. He was a lamp that was burning and shining, and you wanted to rejoice greatly for a short time in his light. But I have a testimony greater than that from John for the deeds that the Father has assigned me to complete. The deeds I'm now doing testify about me that the Father has sent me. All the stuff I've been doing, you guys. I mean, it bears witness to who sent me. So in the end, the testimony of my truthfulness, Jesus says, is God the Father. It's God the Father. So now comes the real painful stuff in the text. Here it comes, right? Verse 37 through 47. If this is true, if God is the witness to Jesus' reality, why are those who seem to know God and to know him best, why are they not believing? Why are these guys don't believe if this is all true, right? That's what the rest of the passage is about. And man, I titled the, the sermon Relentless Impeachment. That's what comes, a whole litany of statements that are relentless in their impeachment. And we'll talk about that. We know what, we kind of know what impeachment is about, right? Well, we got to witness it all for, ugh long time, right? So, and, and, and these next verses are really focused on one of the main causes for unbelief. All right, so let's look at this, these relentless impeachments, right? Let's look at it, and these indictments, if you will, and, and it would be a huge mistake. So let me remind you again, it would be a giant mistake to think that this is mainly for other people and not for you and me. That would be a big mistake. Don't think like that. The scriptures aren't laid out like that. This passage isn't laid out like that. 
I think that we can learn deep things about the corruption of our hearts, and it's all of our hearts are corrupt. And I believe it's a gift to be confronted with this corruption, as painful as it is, all right? So open up your mind a little bit. Here comes the first one, verse 37 through 38. You've never heard God. You've never seen God. His word is not in you, and you do not believe him, right? Look at these verses. And the Father who sent me is himself testified about me. You people have never heard his voice or seen his form at any time, nor do you have his word residing in you. It doesn't live in you because you do not believe the one whom he sent. Wow. That's in your face. That's the first impeaching statement, right? Here's the second one. It's in verses 39 and 40. Uh, you read the, You read the Old Testament You've read it a lot. You've studied it with points everywhere to me. But you don't see it and you don't believe it because you don't want to. That's really what uh, verses 39 through 40 say. You study the scriptures thoroughly because you think in them you possess eternal life. And it is these same scriptures that testify about me. But you're not willing to come to me so that you may have life. Literally, you do not want to come to me so that you may have life. You don't want to do it. Here's the third one. It's in verse 42, 41 and 42. I don't need the glory of man to complete me, Jesus says. Because I love God and he's my satisfaction. But you, you don't have the love of God. And you, you don't love God, you don't find your satisfaction in him. You're, you find it in something else. Verse 41 and 42, right? I don't accept the praise from people. But I know you. That you don't have the love of God within you. Okay, here's the fourth one, verse 43. You don't receive me, you reject me, you want another kind of Messiah. The kind who comes not so humbly, so full of implications of his followers, dying to self. You don't want that, the dying to self stuff. What? <clears throat> so you don't receive me, you don't come to me. That's verse 43. I've come in my Father's name, and you don't accept me. If someone else comes in his own name, you'll accept him. Yeah, you want somebody different. Here's the fifth one, verse 44. How can you believe, or uh, uh, the, it, this is a question. So, well, you, oh, oh, wow. I didn't know it looked like this, sorry. <laughs> you can't believe while you're enslaved to getting praise from one another. You can't believe. Well, here comes the verse, right? How can you believe you accept praise from another and don't seek the praise that comes from the only God? And then the sixth one. Verses 45 through 47, right? You don't believe Moses, so you don't believe me. You don't believe his writings. You know, those first four books of the Bible, you don't, you don't believe those. And so you can't believe my words. Moses' writings point to me. He wrote of me, but you don't see it. You won't need me to judge you. Moses will judge you. <laughs> if you believe Moses, you'd believe me. And if you believe me, you would believe the Father who sent me. That's verses 45 through 47. You know, don't suppose that I'll accuse you before the Father, right? The one you accuse is, uh, accuses you is Moses in whom you've placed your hope. You know, you read all that, but you're just not reading it right. <laughs> okay, now, remember, 
that impeachment, let me define impeachment for you. This is the way impeachment should be defined anyway. The action of calling into question the integrity or the validity of something. The action of calling into question the integrity or the validity of something. That's what, he's, that's what Jesus is doing. He's calling them in, everything into question. He's like, I, you don't believe this stuff. Your motives are impure. You're doing all this for a different reason. So this is a detailed impeachment of the Jewish leaders, right? Verse 38, you don't have God's word in you, and you don't believe the one who's sent, uh, uh, who he has sent. Verse 40, you don't want uh, to come to me. Verse 42, you don't have the love of God in you. Verse 43, you don't believe me. Verse 44, you can't believe. Verse 45, you don't believe Moses and you don't believe me. Now, why was this gospel written? You remember that? We've, we've gone through this multiple times. You've got to go to John 20. Let me just point it out for you in verse 31. It says, but these are recorded, all this stuff John's writing so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So that's why John's writing this. That's why Jesus has come. So John's not piling up the impeachment statements for nothing. He's got something going on here. He's going somewhere with this. He's doing something for our faith, for your faith right now. He wants this analysis of unbelief to get to the center of our hearts to unearth one of the deepest causes of unbelief. For you and for me and for everybody else that we interact with. Here it is. The deepest causes of unbelief. What is Jesus' answer to why his own people, his Jewish brothers, who knew Moses so well, did not believe he was Messiah? And by the way, I don't think this is a uniquely Jewish thing. It's not. Right? It's an everybody issue. Everybody. Everybody. The explanation he gives has nothing really to do with ethnicity or religion, nothing like that. It has everything to do with the way all of us by nature are. We are fallen and sinful, universally. So what is Jesus' answer? To what, what's going on here? Verse 40, you are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. You're not willing to come to me so that you'll have life. Literally, you don't want, me to, you don't want to come to me. Why? We want, or what we want has a giant effect on what we are able to believe. What we want has a giant effect on what we are able to believe. Sometimes Linda says, I have a case of the wants. In fact, she says it all the time. You seem to have a case of the wants, Ben. You're always wanting stuff. Right? So the centerpiece issue for these people, and for us, it's not intellectual evidence. We always want to make it about intellectual evidence. No. It's not about intellectual evidence. That matters. It's important. There's real evidence, and Jesus talks about that. I have a testimony of a witness, John the baptizer, and there's my works and all my miracles. I, you know, so there's plenty of evidence. But that's not the problem. You wanted to rejoice greatly for a short time in his life, verse 45, but now that's over and you don't want to come to me. This is why Jesus began where he did with Nicodemus. You remember Nicodemus? That guy comes to him at night and he's like, hey, I don't know, I got some questions, right? And Jesus says, 
You must be born from above. In other words, Nicodemus, your wants need to be transformed. Your, your wants need to be transformed, man. The Holy Spirit's got to come into your life and take away the rebellion against God and his word and replace it with something. And replace it with what, though? Now we get to it. Now we get to it. Why didn't they want to come to Jesus? Why don't you want to come to Jesus? Why does anybody not want to come to Jesus? What do they want so much that made believing and coming to Jesus impossible? Towards the end of the text, verse 44. Verse 44 gives the answer. And verse 43 shows us how the answer works. Watch this. How can you believe Here it is. If you accept praise from one another and don't seek the praise that comes from the only God. In other words, you can't believe. Why? Because you love the praise of each other, not the praise of God. You don't want Jesus because you want human praise. You don't want Jesus because you want to be the center of everything. You think everything's about you. You want to be in control. You want to be exalted. You want things to be about you. You, you, you. You love being somebody. Just pick one of those. Just pick one. They all fit me. And I think you, apart from the sovereign grace of God, they all fit us. All of those things. They all fit us. Jesus says, this is the real cause of unbelief. You think everything's about you. And you like it that way. Oh, yeah, yeah. That is totally it. You know why I know it's it? Because I do premarital counseling. What? Yeah. You know one of the things that I have to work really hard to destroy in the thinking of young people in particular, in the thinking of everybody, because we make whole TV shows and movies and everything about this. Our culture is saturated with this, that we think that the wedding day is, is my day. It's about me. No, it's about the bride. It's her special day. It's her thing. I mean, you can hear guys getting married, you know, the grooms and, and fiancés just going, yeah, yeah, whatever she wants, it's about her. It's her special day. You can hear moms of the bride going, it's about her. It's, it's her special day. It's a, and, and, and that is the last thing it's about. The wedding and the day and the whole thing and all of it. It's not about you. It's actually featured. It's, 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 it's God's idea. You know, marriage is God's idea. It's not, it's not our idea. We, we try to think it's, we try to make it into our idea that it's about us. But marriage at its core, at its purpose, is to showcase the essence of who God is. It's actually about him. It's like a big neon sign that points towards God that says, this is who God is and this is the way uh, God is. These are his characteristics. This is who he is. At its core, at its purpose, marriage isn't actually about us. It, it has a bigger purpose. It's not actually about us. For the follower of Jesus, see, it's really hard. But, but we get in this thinking to think that it's all what's about my special day and, this, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? We think the Bible's about us. How about the Lord's Supper? You know why I call it the Lord's Supper? You can call it communion, and there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes we refer to it as communion. But it, communion implies something. It, in, it implies a fellowship. And it's true that we're having fellowship at this table, at this 
feast, at this banquet, at this whole thing. It's, it, is, it is that. But it's actually the Lord's Supper. Jesus is the one who instituted this for us. It's about actually that table and everything there is actually all about him. It features him. It's a celebration of him and who he is. Now, he has done these things for us. But you see, we make it about us, don't we? We make it all about us. And Jesus says this is a real cause of unbelief. And it's the cause of unbelief in all of us. You think everything's about you and you like it that way. How does he how, how does it work? Look at verse 43, right? I've come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. If someone else comes in his own name, you'll accept him. How come? How come? How come if, if... Why would they receive a Messiah who comes in his own name? Because, here it is, if Messiah were like that, he would be like them. He would be like us. He would be an endorsement of the way they are or the way we are. He would make them feel okay with the love of their own name and their own self-exaltation and praise. Oh, man, that's what we love to wallow in. Jesus is inconvenient and very uncomfortable here, isn't he? He doesn't like, I don't think he likes being that way, but no wonder these guys want to kill him. Man. He comes in the name of the Father, in his humanity. He humbles himself and becomes obedient to his Father. That's humble. They don't want that. That's obedience, obedience to death, even to the death on the cross. They could see it coming. They don't like it. If Messiah, if Jesus is like this, then we'll have to be like this. If God is pleased with this kind of self-denial in Messiah and Jesus, then he'll look for it in us. And now we'll have to live like that. We don't want that. So we will not come to Jesus, right? Jesus said, I've come in my Father's name and you don't accept me. So this is not just a Jewish problem, is it? This is an everybody problem. This is a Ben problem. Maybe my main problem. And this is your problem. Maybe your main problem. It's a giant backpack of rocks on our backs. It's slavery. And Jesus came into the world to set us free from it. He took our pack of rocks weighing us down on himself, and then he cast it off. Can we talk about our humanity just for a little bit and what this really has to do with us? Right? Can we talk about why the love of human praise is contradictory to real faith? Believing faith and why Jesus wants this analysis of unbelief to get to the center of our hearts and to unearth one of the deepest causes of unbelief in us and everybody else on the planet. What does this have to do with me? Now, hold on. Don't get up. Don't get up. The band's going to come up. Don't pay attention to them. Why is the love of human praise rather than God's praise so contradictory to real faith? Number one, here it is. Real faith in Jesus gives all praise to God and none to ourselves. Real faith in Jesus gives all praise to God and none to ourselves. It's about him and it's not about us. It's about God and it's not about us. And everything is like that. When he purchases you and I on the cross, he bought us. He, it's a blood-bought purchase. When that happens... He owns you and everything you're all about. Everything. 
right? Paul says that Abraham grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. And that's the nature of saving faith. When you come to Jesus in faith, you surrender the right to claim any praise for yourself. Because it's not about you. He owes us nothing. He'll glorify us in his name. But that will be God's glory, not ours, even when he shares his glory with us. It's his glory, right? Faith comes to Jesus without any claim to be, to be glorious or praised ourselves. So the love of human praise is a giant obstacle to faith in Jesus. Giant. And it has to die. It has to die. It has to be killed. And it can be killed. It can die today, by the way. It can And the other reason the love of human praise is contradicted to your real faith is that real believing faith breaks the addiction of human approval, and we love human approval. We, we do things all the time because we want human approval, don't we? We do. I mean, I do. I get up every morning and I choose a shirt to wear hoping it's approved. I don't like it when it's not approved. I get comments. Right? I mean, it, it could be the smallest and the biggest things. I mean, we do things. Our actions indicate it all the time. Real believing faith breaks the addiction of human approval. When, when you get a taste of this matchless living water from God and the praise of God in Christ, the addiction to human approval and praise, it's totally destroyed and you're free. You're set free. That's what we celebrate at the Lord's Supper. Freedom. Freedom. And it's God who sets us free. It's about him setting us free. Here's the last one. Real believing faith drinks the living water of Jesus for the satisfaction of our soul. That's how you're truly satisfied. And the well of that water is Christ. And it's as deep as it gets. And when we're satisfied with him, the enslaving power of craving for human praise, it's totally shattered. Totally shattered, broken by the power of a first class, matchless, unequaled, superb satisfaction in Christ Jesus. That's what's awaiting. I could give you a lot more adjectives. Right? I'm praying that God will open your eyes to Jesus and wake up a spiritual thirst for his living water and give you real faith and set you free. You can kill all of that today. All of that pride, all of that self-importance of wanting to be the center, you can kill it today. Would you bow your head with me? That's what we're here to do, Lord. Today is about you, but we need your help even in dying to self and killing it. I'm praying, God, that you would help us to see that clearly, that you would do that work right now. If you're wrestling right now, don't stiff arm God. He's knocking on your heart for a reason. He is after you. He's compassionate. He knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows what you're wrestling with. He knows what you struggle with. He knows about your insecurities and your desire for approval. He knows all that. And he's saying, hey, trust me. Give all that to me. It's a backpack weighing you down. You don't need it. I'll carry it. I'll set you free of all that. 
You feel that? You feel that knock on your heart today? Don't stiff arm God. Put up the white flag and surrender. Surrender. He's running after. We're going to sing about that. He's running after you. He's chasing after you. Why does Jesus do this with these guys? He's running after you. You can surrender today. Lord God, we know we're sinful and we need a Savior. Save us, Lord God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can go to the Lord's Supper and celebrate his death until he comes right now.
just running after you, but that's what's happening. He's after you. Hey, listen, I know the cost, the implications is it costs you everything. It costs you everything, your whole life. If you will surrender your life to Jesus, though, everything changes. Everything changes, and you have this matchless satisfaction. Whatever the world's got to offer, human praise of any kind, it doesn't even come close. It pales in comparison to the matchless satisfaction that Christ Jesus can bring. That's the answer to what's going on in the world and what's going on in your life. I don't know what's happening in your life and what stresses you out and where your insecurities are, but God knows. He's merciful and he's compassionate and he wants to change all that. I hope you have a fantastic day. Enjoy being together. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information, or would like to view the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com and follow us on social media.